0: Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina,
1: your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more.
2: Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today's Tuesday, October 26, 2021. Joining me for today's super duper podcast is my usual trio of stalwart tech journalists Rob Pedarero, who writes for Wirecutter, The Verge, and USA Today, uh, John Quain, who writes for The New York Times, Smart Cities, and Tom's Guide, and the irrepressible Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Twice and Laptop Magazine. Gentlemen, good afternoon, and how are you?
1: Very well. Good well
2: how's the weather in uh, on the east coast uh, it's it's not too bad in, in San Jose here but how's New York
1: it's raining rain. <laughs> yeah we <laughs> had a rain last night I hear you all got some rain in the Bay Area yes it was, they, like, and, it uh,
2: and it's been badly needed as you know I mean yeah. uh, in fact uh, my garage um part my, my I live in a um uh, a loft apartment type building and it actually did get some water um and um which they're not used to obviously out here because it doesn't rain very often here in san jose or in, in northern california but uh, the rain's been well needed and um and now it's kind of you know we, we get into this time of the year and, and the, and the weather is still very nice but it's still overcast and it's not the kind of um bright shiny sunny days that populate most of the the, the summer and uh, most of the uh, the spring but uh before we get into the topics, I got to ask you guys a question. What, what's your thoughts on the World Series? Any predictions before the happening? <laughs> yeah. Are you going to watch the World Series? Maybe I should start with that question.
0: I, I, I really am torn about who I'm rooting for. Yeah. Um, Houston for for the more general. Uh, impact of 2017, but I'm a Mets fan. How can I possibly root for Atlanta? And I have a feeling that Rob is the same way. How could either one of us possibly root for Atlanta? So I think both Rob and I are sort of on the horn of a dilemma here.
1: My National Uh, League East brother has this right. Yeah, I mean, Atlanta, they're a division rival. um, Like, no, I can't. Uh, Yeah, Houston, you know, granted, you know, we we beat him in 2019. So (laughs) that's all good here. Uh, it, it would be nice to see Dusty Baker, you know, hoist the trophy at some point. Yep. If you can just remember, if when you take your starting pitcher out, you take the ball from him. You don't let him walk off the mound with it. <laughs> you know, by the way, Dusty Baker really makes, is a great
2: coach. He really is a co- – I mean, I don't know if he gets the respect, which is crazy because he's had so much success, uh, but he really is a great coach, and he was a terrific player. You know, well, um, I think this is,
0: if they if Houston wins the series, this will be his ticket to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, oh, I think so. I think so. John, are you going
2: to
3: watch the World Series? Or are you? Just gonna- I'm. I, I'm like. Uh, I'm wondering, is Verstappen driving for Houston? I don't think so. Uh, no, I'm. I'm much more Formula One and NFL right now. That's sort of got, got my mindset. You know, uh, taken over as much brain activity as I can assign to sports.
2: Well, being the true Yankee fan that I am, um, as soon as the Yankees lost to the Red Sox a couple of weeks ago, my interest in baseball went from a hundred percent down to two. And now that the Giants are marching on to the Super Bowl with that fantastic win on Sunday, they just have to win nine more games in a row, and uh, they'll be they'll be great. Right. I got to know I won't be able
1: to watch after first three games, anyways, because I will be uh, out of town across the Atlantic in Lisbon for Web Summit, and the time zones just do not work out for watching uh you know night baseball on, on in either Houston or, or Atlanta
2: well I, we, I could talk about baseball forever as you know but or or the first computers that we ever had that we were checking <laughs> about before we got online uh before the call began but let's uh definitely want to get into the uh into the um uh, into the podcast so let's do that uh okay um uh, this is not a complete surprise, uh, but you know, Samsung announced matters smart home support via SmartThings, which is their uh, their their, uh, their own, it's not proprietary, but well, in, in a way, it's proprietary. But it's, it's Samsung's branded um, uh, smart home protocol kit, uh, not kit, but uh, support um, uh, standard. I, I want to start with Stuart, Stuart. Uh, so you, you, I, you know, I, I don't you don't come across to me as kind of a hardcore smart home guy, you know. Okay. But I mean, do you follow stuff like this? I mean, um, I, I know you do as part of your, as your work, but I mean, would it motivate you to buy a Samsung appliance a smart, um, because they they now have Matter support and it's going to be more it's going to be more broadly compatible with HomeKit and um, Alexa and and, um, and 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 and, uh, yeah. and Google. Um, Assistant, I mean,
0: give, give me some sense of what you
2: have, if you think this is a significant thing from your perspective and from an industry's perspective as well. Well,
0: this is this to me is still vaporware, uh, there still haven't been any products, and and everything is about execution. And right now, I'm looking at this as sort of kumbaya, it's all of these <laughs> vicious competitors all of a sudden deciding to create a UN of smart home technology. And until I actually see it working, just put me in the, I don't believe it column. Right. Um, I just think there are so many issues and conflicts between these companies, not only the walled gardens, but all sorts of privacy issues. And, in, you know, I, I, it's just, they're just, I think so many hurdles to overcome, to get to where the, the utopian Uh, place that Matter is supposed to get us to with that triple arrow logo, these products are still going to be festooned with all these other logos and compatibility things. So... Mm -hmm. the the simplification is now right now adding one more logo to the list that consumers don't know what it is. So until it actually gets out there, until I see how it actually works, whether or not I you need know, a breach for some things enough not for another, if there's a unified Apple app that I could use, I'm I until I see exactly how it's all going to work, I'm going to remain tech cynical. So, so
2: John, question I have for you is that. You know, the Matter initiative has been out there for several months, so that's that's not new news. Uh, they made some news a, few, a couple of months ago when they uh, announced that they, there would not be any Matter-branded devices out there or Matter-supported devices until next year. But it took Samsung a long time to get to today when they made this announcement. Does that, does that surprise you? You know, uh, you think Samsung was trying to extract a better deal, although, you know, the... the the uh, committee that manages matter is not a public company they're a they're a, they're a, a standards body so that i don't know what what, what they could possibly be, uh, would be, have been negotiating but that's that right. did that did that, that surprised you that it took so long for for samsung to get on board
3: it didn't surprise me actually because um you know they've sort of gone their own way on several different fronts and ter- you know in terms of smart home devices and compatibility and different standards and their own software and that sort of thing and they and and it makes sense if you've been to korea and you understand how these companies work where you have sort of products in every category and making them completely fit you know they have everything from air conditioners and refrigerators to televisions and and phones so um making that all work together is kind of their view and it's it's not surprising that it would take them a while to support uh, yet another standard mm-hmm. um But uh, it is, I think it is significant in the sense that, you know, most people have, a lot of people have Samsung TVs or have some Samsung appliance in their home. And you kind of want this stuff to work with best of breed. You know, it's why Apple has sort of failed at this idea, right? Because nobody's going to buy an Apple front door lock. You know, that's just not, not a thing. Ring is like questionable. It was on its own. But once you have Honeywell and Schlag as a lock company and companies like that joining it then saying, well, that's great. Then when I go into Home Depot or I can buy whatever product I think is the best one in that category. Um, so but I'm like Stuart, you know, I would we don't have any products and I have like 40 in my house all mm-hmm. on the network and they're all different. know, <laughs> They don't they don't talk to each other. So I'll believe it, you know, sometime next year, hopefully.
2: Well, you know, you made a good point, John, because, you know, if, if the reason why the Samsung, you know, seal of approval or their participation in the uh, in the uh, matter initiative is important is that they do have a, a pretty heavyweight uh, presence in smartphones, number one, but also with appliances as well. You know, they, I, I don't know what their chair is off the top of my head, but it's 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 not uh, it's not trivial, you know, and I think that the, the, the interesting to me thing to me, you know, vis a vis the appliance element of the discussion is that there really hasn't been compelling usage models that have come out of, well, I want a smart home, a refrigerator that's, that's a smart home device or an oven. That's a smart home device. Right. I mean, there is some interesting things there, but it's not so compelling that people would go out and buy a $4,000 refrigerator just so because it's it, just because it's smart home compliant. And I can, you know, I, I think smart, um, I think uh, Samsung has a camera, built into it allows you to detect you know if you're out of milk you know or or your milk is going bad but Rob did did this news surprise you uh
1: so I think it was going to happen I think this is a case where to the extent people realize that there are these different standards at all they want to know that what they buy is going to be compatible like nobody worries that this electric appliance you buy will work when you plug it into the outlet assuming you didn't it's not some gray market thing from the eu Uh, Mm -hmm. so we need to get to that point with smart home stuff and this is a necessary step but it's not enough by itself like the fridge is it's funny you mentioned milk I was just running over to the grocery store because if you have a kid at home you're always running out of that (laughs) um you know that I'm not compelled to get a connected fridge but we do have an ancient thermostat where it actually would help to have one connected and i want to know that whatever one i buy i am going to actually look for that logo on there just in case because it's one way i can try to buy down the risk a little bit of getting locked into some stupid closed ecosystem which happens all the time i mean we can't even agree on how to what plug an electric car should take to recharge so <laughs> we're doing better than that here that's nice
2: well i'll just close off on this particular topic going back to something that, that stewart said is that i think uh, early next year is going to be critical for the uh the, Connecti- uh, the Connectivity Standards Alliance, the CSA, which oversees the Matter uh, initiative, uh, because if, if devices don't start to show up in early next year, I think people are going to say, ho-hum, hey, you guys have been out there for a year. You've already made one cancellation, you know, uh, and pushed, uh, you know, at, at, and I think, you know, people have uh, short attention spans. So I, I think that, that they better show up at um in january at ces with uh, hey we have a you know flagship smart on device that's now compliant with matter and it can it can work across uh, multiple protocols let us start talking about um and this is your topic rob <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. a bunch of key nominations for the fcc before we go rob into your um into your uh, uh your your view on this topic you know, well, maybe it's helpful to explain to the audience why this is important because it is important. It's not just, hey, it's a bunch of guys, you know, with government jobs. So The FCC does have a very significant role in our lives from a technology standpoint.
1: Yes, it is perhaps the most important agency in terms of how the government regulates technology because the FCC, by statute, you know, when you have new 5G bands available that give your phone better service, that's because the FCC ran a Spectrum auction, found some Spectrum, freed it up sold it to the carriers, made a bunch of money for the government, meaning us. Uh, net neutrality politics, that was all through the FCC. Uh, just last week, the Federal Trade Commission posted a really long report about the tracking practices as a bunch of different internet providers. Practices that would have been regulated had the, had the FCC not said, nope, we're done with net neutrality rules, we're wiping out the entire foundation of them, including the privacy rules that had been written under a previous administration and had not gone into effect. That said, you would have expected in January that because the FCC is so central to tech policy, that one of the first nominations President Biden would have made would have been to fill the fifth slot. There's five commissioners on it. No more than three can be at the same party. So every time you have a new president who will make two, three picks from their own party if they can do from the other. And one of those spots has been vacant, leaving it in a two to two tie between Democrat Democratic and Republican nominees, unable to do a heck of a lot, even though, as we've seen, (laughs) bandwidth has been really important. Another way the FCC is important, the emergency broadband benefit, the $50 stipend you can get to pay for connectivity, that's run through the FCC as well. Mm -hmm. So Biden has now fixed this problem by, first of all, nominating the acting chair, Jessica Rosenworcel, to be the permanent chair for a five year term. I think this is a great call. We were just talking about uh, bandwidth and homes, the phrase, the homework gap, her office basically came up with it. She has been talking about this for a long time. I was looking at my notes, actually. Here is uh, her talking about the homework gap. That strikes me as an especially cruel part of the digital divide. She said this at a uh, trade event in 2015. So she's been paying attention to this since way before the pandemic made it painfully obvious Mm -hmm. that broadband is not equally available. And a lot of kids have a really hard time keeping up because they have no good bandwidth at home. So that's a good call. She's also been good about issues of uh, the state of, you can't fix broadband availability if you don't know where broadband is actually available. And the FCC maps have been terrible for years. And the prior chair of the FCC, Ajit Pai, uh, sort of, didn't pay a whole lot of attention. And she pointed out, I was at some conference in DC in 2018 where she said, this has the information isn't right for my own house and I'm an FCC commissioner. So I think she's (laughs) paying attention to the right points. Uh, She's a capable speaker. She clearly knows the job. The other person they named is Gigi Sohn, who I should note, I have known for like 20 years now. I think she's a a fantastic human being. Uh, I'm glad she's on, she has been, she was a counselor with the FCC when the prior net neutrality rules were written. She is a longstanding consumer advocate. She is not a fan of leaving people subject to local monopolies, you know, just your cable company. That's another good pick. Um, I think both these folks should be approved. I think they're quality additions. Uh, I just wish it had not taken so long. We've gone 10 months, and, you know, it's not as if the state of broadband has been peachy keen since January. Right.
2: So, Johnny, you upset that, that Biden didn't nominate you?
3: John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's funny because I, I talked to a lot of lawyers about about the FCC, and they they've pointed to this um, for quite a while as is you know, it's a big sea change uh, for a lot of reasons, not just because of our technology focus and the the things that we're concerned about. Um, in, in privacy and things like that, but also because of antitrust issues mm-hmm. uh, that they have extended from those tech companies sort of across uh, you know the vertical integration that they look at now and market size and whether it will prevent a nascent company from starting up. But the much broader view of antitrust issues than um, there have been in probably the last 30 years or so. So um, part of that is the result of what companies like Facebook and Google have done, right? They have gone sideways and grabbed up companies to do that sort of thing. So the they're now more much more concerned about that. So you're going to see some changes made. And you're going to see uh, a lot of deals that a lot of VC people thought were just kind of automatic for the last 25 years or so are now going to take a lot longer. And some of them may not go through. So it's going to have a, a very direct impact, I think.
2: And Stuart, I know you were nominated, but you turned it down because you didn't want to to move down to Washington, which
0: I can understand. If if nominated, I will not not run, (laughs) and if elected, I will not serve. (laughs) <laughs> um i i like like john and rob i it's just a mystery why this took so long yeah. i was reading that it only the longest that it took before this to nominate people was like september and here we are we're almost in november already and it's just and considering the 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 atmosphere around broadband and the executive orders that Biden had signed that had no force of law without an effective FCC. It's just a yeah. mystery to me why this took so long. That's the first thing. The second thing is I, I, I unlike Rob, I don't know the um, the two commissioners. Uh, I only know them by name and reputation. But I'm what I see is that, um, that uh, some has not always agreed with Rosenworcel on some policy, like um, like a lot of the cable box issue and it, it it just occurred to me i was reading up about her that her she's a member of, of the board of the directors of, of the electronic uh, freedom foundation frontier and foundation. Uh, what's that
1: electronic frontier foundation uh, frontier
0: foundation thank you sorry that she, I, her nom- her um her approval by congress i'm not so sure is as assured given her more progressive views on net neutrality and competition might not sit well with, shall we say, two particular Democratic senators who have only <laughs> shown that they will not walk in lockstep with the rest of the Democrats. So I think Rosenworcel will, will probably squeak through. But solm's nomination, I don't. Again, I'm not against it, I'm just saying from a purely political point of view. And she's also, by the way, against revising or or getting rid of Section 230, which has got bipartisan support on the other side for her. So whether or not- Well, she's actually, I got to interrupt there.
1: The FCC has nothing to do with Section 230. Trump tried to make the FCC step in and enforce it, and in the particularly disgraceful act, one of the FCC commissioners Trump nominated, Mike O'Reilly, said- you know, this is not our job. We can't do this. Result, I, I agree yeah, with you,
0: Rob. But politics often centers on things that have nothing to do with politics. And if the Democrat, if the Republicans want to paint Biden um, or or try to disable Biden as as they continually try to do, is that they could bring up Section Two Thirty, even though the FCC and she could say the FCC has no control over it, but they could certainly use it as a political cudgel. To stall her nomination and stall whatever other uh, policies the FCC might pass once um, she and Rosenworcel are both are both approved. So I agree with you. The FCC has nothing to do with Section Two Thirty. I think it, it it could be used simply as a political cudgel. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: we, we've got to move on. This is a terrific conversation, but you know the, the the one thing I agree with all of you on is that it, it it just blows me away that it's taken this long because you would think not that every of all the issues that are bouncing around in Washington right now, there's, you know, the FCC historically has had kind of a bipartisan flavor to it. That's not always been true around net neutrality. I mean, that has been kind of a a divisive issue in many ways. But I think most Americans realize that we have broadband infrastructure problems, you know, and one of the ways you kind of solve that is you get alignment by the FCC in a bipartisan way. So, I, I, you know, I don't know what the, you know, Maybe it's a topic we've got to return to one day. Why it took so long? I mean, we're sitting here, you know, um, you know, a few weeks before Thanksgiving. You would think this would have been one of the the first things that Biden could have uh, got, got nailed and you know chalked up an early win, you know. Um, and God knows he needs a, he needs as many wins as he can get uh, right now. But that's another podcast. Um, let's talk about and Stuart. This is a terrific topic here, guys and God forbid what's going to happen you know when, once this starts getting into you know um, politicians start getting involved with politicians and algorithms that doesn't necessarily go together but um you know, social media apps obviously use algorithms which are sophisticated and sometimes not so sophisticated programming methods to um uh, to drive different outcomes and find and with analytics can you know observe certain behavior that you can screen out or screen in let, let me get your sense of this. Why, why is this
0: such a big issue to you, Stuart? Because I, I, because I know you feel pretty passionate about it. Well, the way that Congress has been approaching this is that we need to break up big tech. And I don't think the problem is necessarily, I'm not saying it isn't, not necessarily the size of these companies, but the technologies that they use, and the primary perpetrator of all the ill that is on social media, as far as I'm concerned, are these content promoting algorithms. We just heard this week, I think the name was Carol Smith, that somebody at Facebook had created a fictional account and gave her fictional attributes of being a Christian and a conservative and that was it, you know, a, a mother, a Christian, and a conservative, and that was the only attributes that the 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 fictional woman was was given. And yet, Facebook's content algorithm started feeding her all of this um, Q content and encouragement to join all of these conspiratorial um, um, groups and news without her ha- without the account having done anything interactively to ask for that material. And so the fault is not hers and the fault is not the content. The fault was the algorithm that pushed the content. So the question in my mind is, is there, and I don't think there's an answer to this, quite frankly, because Congress tends to work much more with a sledgehammer than with a scalpel and their level of understanding of the technologies involved. I think the answer, the, the central focus should be on the algorithm. Or algorithms but the question is what do you do can you outlaw algorithms is there a way of regulating algorithms is there a way of because obviously advertisers would be against that because algorithms push ads to people so i i think the algorithms are the issue or a bigger issue than the size of the companies or their irresponsibility about content moderation
2: yeah i, I mean i get i want to get john's view on this but I, you know my my um not problem, but my, my observation about this topic is that you know algorithms don't grow by themselves; they don't develop by themselves. People write the algorithms, and and it's hard for me to believe. Again, this is just me coming in and looking at it from out the outside. That algorithms at either Facebook or other social sites are written such a way without knowing what the consequences might be. I really do believe that they may never acknowledge that. Maybe we need some whistleblowers to to, to paint some uh, uh, to uh, to um, present some evidence around it that, that, that that's a fact but you know algorithms are not written in isolation there's always a um, a consequence to it and by the way at, at the, you know at, at companies like facebook those algorithms are in such a way as to drive certain behavior you know more more uh, profit oriented advertising advertising that go to certain groups that spend more money because you can break things down that way when you have digital uh, when you have a, when you have a digital understanding of a customer. So I'm not sure, first of all, I'm, I'm not sure it's constitutional, but you could outlaw an algorithm. And I, I know you agree with that, Stuart, that, that that's probably a questionable that's a question that needs to be answered by a court. But I'm I, you know, I just wonder if, if whether it's the motives that are, that are that are the issue and not the algorithms uh, per se. So John, what is your take on this topic? Uh, you know,
3: the algorithms are pretty. Rudimentary, still, you know. Even in in uh, machine learning, there are you know, there's a there's a bucket full of algorithms that people tend to use um, to do those kinds of tasks. How you integrate them and what you do with them is another matter. So it's not like people are inventing really amazingly new, sophisticated algorithms every day. They're not. Mm-hmm. It's just that they're applying them in different combinations, and then it's the data. So. For me, it's more about the data, um, you know, they can direct me wherever they want. I mean, if they want to direct me to an advertiser, yeah, that's what marketing's all about, Charlie Brown, but I'm not. It's the data that they Hoover up that yeah. is completely unregulated. And a lot of it is incorrect data about you. And a lot of that data ends up being used in judicial decisions, whether you get 20 years or five months that is an ai program that people have used in 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 real life you know in in court um judges use things like that and the same goes for hiring and employment and getting into college and getting a loan all of those things are now um they're using data that is just they just hoover up some of it's right some of it's wrong you you and i will never know because it's not transparent, we don't know what they're using, so we can't even go to somebody and say, hey, that's not me. That's John Quain who committed these crimes in Colorado. By the way, there was a John Quain who committed these oh, crimes no. in Colorado. <laughs> so, you know, that to me, that's the big problem is this use of data and it's completely unchecked. I mean, by anybody, except for in the United States, we have HIPAA. Yeah, people will point out HIPAA, but that's not much else.
2: Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Rob, you know, the, the thing that kind of is really interesting to me about this topic is that um, look, you know, you look at what, you know, uh, Facebook's uh, challenges lately with look what what um, Apple the impact of Apple's new privacy um, uh, um, protocols that they implemented in iOS 15. It's had a, a meaningful impact on Facebook, on Facebook's profitability. I mean, yeah. they, they warned about that um, apparently yesterday, and that uh, that uh, that the um, the protection levels that Apple's starting to put into their um, their, their uh, smart device operating systems are really, you know, putting handcuffs on what Facebook can do from an advertising okay. standpoint, in terms of the precision, because that's the key. To, that's the name of the game in, in digital advertising. The more yeah. precise you are, the, the the bigger impact you'll you'll get from a return standpoint. So, do you see a correlation between the two?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad John mentioned data, because if (laughs) you want to do something about the problem of large social networks, building detailed profiles of people and then using those to push content at them, um, the problem with going after algorithms, curating stuff, making editorial decision that's covered by the First Amendment, I don't think you can write a law that says you can't use computer code to suggest what people like, um, because Code is an expression of human speech. There have yes. been cases about things like encryption that say, you know, you can't compel speech in this direction or that. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you can write a law that says algorithmic recommendations are the problem. You could, there was a law, a bill introduced, I think just last week that would uh, lift Section 230 protections for recommendations made by, by an algorithm. You know what company can afford the lawsuits that are result from that? Facebook. Yeah. yeah basic problem we have here is that we have this one company where we know they've had algorithms that have yielded incredibly bad outcomes and worse in other countries. I was looking up the New York Times did a piece about a similar case where Facebook researchers created a test user in Kerala, India, and just set this person to follow whatever was suggested. The quote from an unnamed researcher in the NYT's piece. Following this test user's news feed, I've seen more images of dead people in the past three weeks than I've seen in my entire life total. and and this is a a country with a history of religious violence they played with fire uh just today the washington post had a piece explaining how some genius at facebook decided when they when they added those new emoji reactions you know like hate mad whatever uh they decided you know the the ones that weren't just like would have five times the value and they soon discovered that things got a lot of that got a lot of angry emoji reactions spread like crazy and were also often misinformation and just unhelpful and unhealthy. Facebook took another two years to decide, maybe we should let go of our engagement with our precious goddamn obsession with our precious goddamn engagement for once and just dial it back and just say, an anger emoji reaction isn't worth any more than a like. But they're so desperate with getting people to spend more time on there when they already have 2 billion people like let up already. Right. The problem is, Although Mark Zuckerberg may seem a little sociopathic in some of these decisions, which <laughs> clearly for him. You can't write a law saying, hey, stop being such a jerk <laughs> with no sense of responsibility for society at large. Otherwise, a lot of CEOs would go to jail. Right. So um, privacy protection in law on a federal basis would be good, all the good luck getting that to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think splitting up Facebook making it less powerful, a separate Instagram would at least have a chance to do something different. And for that matter, there is this lawsuit brought by a coalition of states led by Texas against Google that alleges really serious charges of collusion between Facebook and Google that seeks structural remedies, aka take a sledgehammer and split up the company. So. Boom. I just said something nice about the Republican attorney general of Texas. And
2: I I did record it. I did not,
1: I did not. Um, You know, we already have provisions in antitrust law to break up companies in cases of abuse of power. And I think we're going to see more cases like this brought. And for that matter, you know, Google, that same lawsuit makes some pretty serious charges that uh, Google is using YouTube to cement its dominance of display advertising. And so, yeah, you know, writing laws that are probably unconstitutional, not a good idea. Perhaps using the laws that have been on the books for decades, perhaps we should consider doing that instead.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Now, so, look, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe a
0: law that gives consumers the right to own and maybe even profit from their own data, which has been suggested by a lot of different people as right. being part of the solution. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree
2: with Stuart, I, there might be some business rem- remedies that helps influence behavior, you know. Well,
3: there, there is, just because, one last thing about this, just because I'm working on an academic paper about it, right? So in in doing, in doing the kinds of things that we're talking about that these companies do, they are taking away privacy, right? They're taking away data, information that you have about yourself, et cetera. In the process of doing that, what they are also taking away is your autonomy, your control over yourself to do things and that's tied into at least in the united states into your liberty and freedom to do things so it has a really direct effect on what you're able to do with your life what these companies are doing right now and i think that's you know trying to communicate that to the general populace is is a little tricky and difficult but that's really what we're talking about here
2: Well, and we're going to revisit this topic, I am sure, over the coming months, so let's not uh, put this one on the shelf. (laughs) The the only observation I would make is the thing that scares me, and I think all of you would agree with this, is that the uh, um, legislators who are involved making these decisions um, and influencing legislation, they just don't have, in most cases, the appropriate technical background uh to make these type of decisions and they now they do have very youthful staffs in many cases that can help them kind of navigate through the issues but as we've seen every time there's some type of social media uh panel or um testimony that goes on in congress some of the questions that get asked you just kind of like what the heck is going on i mean you know and maybe if we, yes all of us are in the tech space we we, we eat and breathe this every single day but uh, if you don't understand the issues from a technical standpoint, and I'm not talking about from an engineering standpoint, from a C++ write, you know, writing code standpoint, but at least understand at, at a fairly basic level what these algorithms can do, you know, what, you know what, uh, and, you know, some of the things that, that I think all of you brought up during your comments, I think we're in, uh, <laughs> I think we're in dangerous waters. So I know that we're, we're going to revisit this at some point. Last topic we got to get to. We only have a few minutes here. And Stuart, I'll let you lead off with this. This is a great topic because I don't, you know, everybody's been hailing, you know, remote working as this kind of, you know, a triumph of technology. It kept everybody sane for the last two years. All goodness, you know, the remote learning from an educational standpoint, that's kind of helped. There has been a downside with it. And I think that's the point you you know you made uh, this morning when we were exchanging emails. So
0: let's talk about that. I wanna get your perspective on this topic. Well, the, the main thing point, I've, I've, I've worked remotely almost my entire professional life and I do have memories of when I was in an office and I met with my team, you know, and that sort of thing. And there is, I hear from people that communicate largely by text and email of a higher level of miscommunication because so much pressure is placed upon these intermittent um, um, uh, text-based conversation tools without the face-to-face and it engenders so much misunderstanding and puts a great deal and something that would have been a minor issue if you passed somebody in the hall and said oh by the way did you do that that thing that we thought?" oh yeah i'll get to it now as opposed to sending somebody an email says by the way i need your thing on this all of a sudden that gets blown out of proportion the relationships between the workers there's no way to build any kind of teamwork or um, or corporate culture, when you lose that serendipitous communication, you lose that human contact, and all of a sudden, everything gets blown out of proportion and creates animosities um, and and other negative kind of interpersonal relationships that may not exist or would not exist if everybody was in one place at one time all together mm-hmm. just going to the coffee break room together and just having conversation oh i dropped by your office here let me give you this you know those sorts of interactivities are completely gone and it puts a lot more pressure on very inefficient other forms of of communication such as email and texting john your reaction to that
3: Uh, i mean i i it's it's tricky for me too because like Stuart, i mean i used to be you know part of an editorial staff and in the in my cubicle and office every day etc cetera, etc cetera. and then uh, for the last few years obviously working remotely um because i don't need to i need to be able to travel and need flexibility in the schedule and to be able to test things um and an office wasn't very conducive to do that i you know i don't know that it's had such a negative impact i mean one of the uh advantages i've seen is that it's, um, allowed people to reflect on the work that they're actually doing and whether they want to continue doing that work anymore or not. Um, and that, and that has, has shifted the balance of sort of power between, you know, employers and employees. And, and I've liked that shift. I have to say, I've liked to see employees, uh, having more autonomy, having more say in, uh, what goes on with their work and making decisions like, this probably isn't the job for me before the employer makes that decision. Right, right, right. And I think ultimately that's a good thing because you want employees to be happy. You want them to be doing work that they feel fulfilled in, and they're going to do a better job if they do that. So I, I think in the end, it's a, it's a benefit, you know, as with everything, with the pandemic, who knows how long this is going to last or when will whether this is sort of a permanent new normal. Um, it's a little odd in Manhattan because we have giant skyscrapers still virtually sitting empty. A lot of right. them, you know, maybe maybe twenty percent now of people coming in. So it, 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 I don't know. Can we sustain that? We it's gonna be. We're gonna find out. <laughs>
2: well, I, well, I want I want Rob to wrap this this one up. But I, the the thing that I think Stuart said, which I absolutely agree with, is that we have kind of migrated into this communications um, protocol orientation where very often, because I do it all day long, whether it's text messages, whether it's Slack. And when you're you know, sending people, particularly people you haven't met, there's a number of people that I've been working with over the last year, I've never physically met them. I've seen them on on my uh, on a video conference call, but I'm constantly corresponding with them. And, you, you know, because all of us are writers, you know, me late in my career, you know, the key to great writing is re- is reading something over again three or four or five times before you actually publish it. That does not happen most of the time with text messaging or messages on Twitter. You know, yes, there's a limitation. You're going to have so many characters that you can send out on a Twitter blast. <laughs> um, you know, the, some of the limitations are a bit more liberal on other tools, right. but most people don't you know they just don't review what they're about to hit the send we just and they they don't have, express
0: themselves very well well
2: we have but we had a president for four years that probably he might have been reelected had he had a better uh, an abil- uh, ability to resist hitting the send key and hey by the way could you read that before you send it because there might be a word or two that has completely the wrong connotation of what you want to communicate so i believe no i really do believe i think so you've got a point here that that i think people have been um you know, really flummoxed um, with the way the, the way people react um, to a message inadvertently because they just don't, you know, uh, review it appropriately because uh, that desire to hit the send key and get that message out. Rob, I'll let you close on get your thoughts and we can close this one out.
1: So I've been working remotely for the past 10 years. So the, this, who are these coworkers of which you speak, but uh, <laughs> <for> the, last, <laughs> the last month I have actually been to like two in-person conferences and I'm flying to another one this weekend. And it's been really great to actually talk to people afterwards yes. to, you know, shake hands and, you know, have a drink, hopefully outdoors with nice weather uh, and and engage like functional human beings instead of people who are just in little boxes on the screen like we are right now. And so I'm glad we're getting back to that. And uh, so to everyone listening, get vaccinated. It really works Look us there, yep. that's my PSA. Thanks for coming yep. to my talk. <laughs> 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 yeah, no. I mean, I,
3: I, having said that, I have to admit. Look, I'm going to NYU almost every day, right? I'm on campus almost every day. I'm in in class, talking to people, and discussing topics almost every day. So, I shouldn't say I love working remotely so much because I really am enjoying that, and I'm getting a lot. You know, obviously, a lot of ideas out of that and working with people. So, uh, I certainly appreciate that. And yeah, there are some places you just can't. There's no substitute
2: yes no i agree and yep. uh and you know and we still and the four of us still have not been in a single room since i think the last time we
1: was, i know was, was wow. I, I think it was It was EFA. yes know. my my flights and hotel are booked yeah
2: we, we, do. we, we, we have got to get together for a drake before the giants won the super bowl which they are going through That's <laughs> my, my so rob stewart and john thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast for a viewing and listening audience please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast and don't forget to follow me on Twitter at MarkVina Tech, uh, Mark Tech Guy. And until next time, have a great weekend.